Tonight, I want to take just a moment to look at the cross from a different vantage point. I know that we have heard the story so frequently, and yet its words never lose their, uh, our interest because it is so fundamental to all that we understand about our eternal life, the cross of Calvary. I want us to come to one brief explanation of the cross in Luke's account Luke chapter 23, three short verses we'll look at in 44 through 46. It was about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed. His last. Up till now, the account of the crucifixion may have seemed to you that Jesus was a mere victim, a victim of horrible human brutality. In fact, one commentator said this, it was the worst that men could do and it was the worst that men ever did. But I'm afraid, church, that sometimes we look at the cross and we gravitate toward two angles that maybe skew what was really going on. Sometimes we look at the physical suffering of Jesus, the torture, the mocking, the pain, the nails, the crown, the spear. And we gravitate toward the physicality of crucifixion in such a way that it captures our minds. Sometimes we look at the cross from the perspective of the great sacrificial love. This was an incredible gift on the part of Jesus to offer himself to us. And so we're drawn to those two directions. Either the physical torture, the physical pain, the, the struggle of all that happened to him, or the amazing sacrificial love. Now, is the cross about physical pain? Absolutely it is. It's the, the story. It is what happened. Is the cross about love and sacrifice? Without question. Think about what happened as they hurl insults at him, as they mock him. They turn Jesus into the, the, the brunt of their jokes. He, he becomes this, this mocking point as they look at him and say, is he really some kind of a king? Is he really some kind of a ruler? And following along the religious leaders, these Romans took and they fashioned a crown of thorns and they shoved it down over his brow. And as they did, they did so mockingly. They threw a purple priestly or, or kingly robe on his back and handed him a, a false scepter. And they said, hail to this king of kings. And they laughed and jeered. And we find ourselves, again, drawn to that side. We, we, we suffer through that as we think about what Jesus endured. But I want us to take one more center look. And, and this may be something per, perhaps different for you. It has been for me. I'll just be honest with you as I've studied it and looked at it. I want you to think about something dramatic that happened in these three verses. You see, up to this point, mocking, taunting, jeering, jesting. But it says... Here, at a specific point, in verse 44, at that hour, everything went pitch black. Here's what I want to propose to you. And I want you to think about the cross from this perspective. At that hour, God showed up at Calvary. 
Here's what I want to talk about. It's not a, a popular topic. I want to talk about the wrath of God that we see on the hill of Golgotha. I want us to think together for just a few moments. The death of Jesus has been talked about from many different angles, but think about this idea when God showed up. Calvary is more about the wrath of God than probably anything else. Yes, it's human cruelty at its worst. Yes, it's sacrificial love at its best. But Jesus is far more than just a victim of human injustice. He was the one who bore the brunt of the wrath of eternal God. Together, for just these few moments, I want us to contemplate the cross. Jesus was crucified at 9 a.m. on Friday of the Passover week. We understand that the Jewish day started around 6 in the morning. And so here it says that we're at the 6th hour. That would be noon. That's important for you to notice. The sun would be at its apex, right in the middle of the sky. Spring in the land of Israel, high noon. And everything was black. Go back to the text with me. It simply says it was the sixth hour and in essence, it says darkness fell over the whole land. It literally means that the sun failed. It means the sun was obscured. It went out. This doesn't mean that a few clouds passed by in front of the sun and darkened the mood a little bit. Everything went pitch black. You can't see your hand in front of your face. You, you have to find yourself frightened. Pitch blackness. We're outside the city near this hill. Oh, we can't scamper down the hill. We can't go back to the city. It's not like we have flashlights. We certainly don't have any lamps. Why would we need them? It's noonday. Pitch black. We don't have the time tonight to explore all of the reasons why. Some would say, well, perhaps it was an eclipse. Well, we know that the Passover was set based on a full moon, and so that couldn't have happened. You don't have eclipse and full moon. Some would say, well, it was Satan. He was pouring out darkness upon the head of Jesus. I, I understand that Satan's reign really is marked by moral and spiritual darkness. But he's not the one that's in control of the natural world. God turned those lights out. God showed up. You say, now God shows himself as light. He appears as light. His word is a lamp unto my feet. He, he is a God of light. Well, maybe if you have spent a little time studying in the Old Testament, God also showed himself in darkness. In the book of Genesis, when he made a covenant with Abraham, it says that this cloud of darkness enveloped. In the book of Exodus, when he went, uh, Moses was to go on the mountain, the mountain was covered in darkness. And darkness was almost always seen as the judgment of God. So this is the dark side of the presence of God, if you will. And it simply means not an evil side, but the judgment of God. And all of the wrath of God was poured out on Jesus at this time. As we think about it, and I want you to continue to reflect through this with me. Why in the world would it go dark? What is really going on on Calvary is that this divine wrath is being poured out and darkness is everywhere. One man said it this way. One commentator I read just in the past couple of weeks, God brought hell to Jerusalem that day. Pastor, that's not a... A popular celebratory message. No, it's not. And today is such a paradox as we call it 
Good Friday. How is it good our Lord was crucified? Because we know the end of the story. We know that it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. We understand that there is victory on the way. But on that day, hell happened right there. What do you mean, Brother Scott? Well, what is hell? Jesus described it as a place of outer what? Try it again. The choir is with me. Try it again. Jesus called hell a place of outer darkness. And so darkness fell. What is hell? It's a place that God punishes forever those who have not believed because of their sins. It's interesting when we think about that. Some people say, well, hell is being separated from God. And that's true in some sense. But in some sense, the very judgmental presence of God is present there. God is the one that's the Lord over hell. Only in the sense that the comforting presence of God will never come to those in hell. Again, I want you to think with me through this. This is the cup that Jesus begged of God to remove if it was possible. If there's any way, let this cup pass from me. I do not want to go through that judgment. It's interesting, during these three hours, no one said a word. There's no more sneering. There's no more scorning or mocking or joking or blasphemy. There's no taunting recorded. Nobody said a word, not even Jesus. In the midst of this darkness from noon until three, we see that Jesus hanging on the cross in darkness is not the absence of God the Father, but just the opposite. opposite. It is the judgment and the presence of God. Arthur Pink said it this way, it is the presence of God in full judgment, vengeance, and fury. Infinite wrath moved by infinite righteousness released in infinite punishment on the infinite Son of God who can absorb an eternal hell for all who will ever believe in these three hours. It is here that he bears in his own body our sin. It is here that he was made an accursed for us. It was here he was wounded for our transgressions. It was here that he, by his stripes, we find healing. Three hours of wrath that God places upon him. It's stunning to think about. And why is it that he would have to face that? Because infinite judgment can only be absorbed by an infinite God. You see, people that go to hell will spend hell, uh, spend eternity there because they can never pay for their sin. Darkness fell over the land, back to our text, until the ninth hour. That means the lights came back on. I, go with me there for a moment. Christ has been on the cross for six hours. In the sixth hour of the day, noon, Everything went pitch black. You can't see. Can you imagine the fear? Maybe if you're not at Golgotha and you're in town and everything goes black, you just sit down because you can't even communicate. There's nothing that you can do. It is absolute devoid of light. Darkness. And I imagine the Jews at some level perhaps associated this somehow with the judgment of God. But the lights came back on three hours later. Now, this is the time of the Passover. The priests there at the temple have 
time to make up, lost time to make up for. Their job is to begin slaughtering literally countless numbers of animals, sheep and otherwise, for the sacrifices of Passover at the temple. And the lights come back on three hours later. I don't know what they felt. Maybe they're just in such awe and wonder and, and confusion over all that has happened. But they start to do their work. And you know what happens? We read it in these three simple verses. Those priests begin sharpening knives and doing their work, getting ready for the Passover, and they hear the rumbling of a sound of tearing. And it's the tearing of the temple veil from the top to the bottom. And as they begin to sacrifice animals, the one who has borne the brunt of all of our sinfulness and the wrath of God poured out upon him who has now made access to God possible. You know what that temple veil was. It's separated in the holy place, the, the tent of meeting, the holy of holies from the rest. And one high priest once a year could enter in on the Day of Atonement, and that was it. And he would go there for a brief time to sprinkle blood on the mercy seat and to pray over the people and ask for God's forgiveness. And now, no longer do we need a high priest. You see, Jesus, in that act of bearing the brunt of all of our sin, has now made the temple obsolete. He's now made the priest and their work obsolete. He's made the sacrifices obsolete and the lights came back on and the temple veil was torn and we are coming to a place of Jesus crying out, it is finished. One of the words that Jesus does speak when the lights are turned back on is this, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think perhaps it's just a simple picture of the fullness of hell. In hell, the wrath of God will be poured out and the comfort of God will never come. And now Jesus turns and we see one final place that we need to contemplate, that we need to consider. You see, as access to God has now been officially activated, the cross is atonement, the veil is, is access, and by his death, this new covenant is ratified. Oh, people have been saved up until this point, but the reality is the, the new covenant, the activation of the new covenant didn't happen until now, and now it's set. Jesus on the cross, as God split the curtain and split, uh, opened his presence, at that point in time, the darkness is gone. An earthquake which has come stops. I can't imagine how the, the chaos must have been just magnificent earthquakes graves opening and dead people walking around pitch black darkness for three hours at the noonday the temple veil has ripped and now Jesus has taken it all he has made the way open resurrection life is completely provided and he is done and Luke 23, 46 says something pretty amazing. Church, don't miss this. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice. That's important. Why is that important, Brother Scott? We know that if we go back to our view that we often do of the physicality of the cross, that many people died in crucifixion because of asphyxiation. You couldn't draw breath. You literally could not breathe. And for Jesus with boldness to cry out with a loud voice, it is 
finished. That one word, tetelestai, as he said, it is completely paid in full. The wrath of God has been satisfied in Christ Jesus. No man takes the life of Jesus. We read that earlier. Jesus willingly gave himself for us. And here with authority, he reestablishes his relationship with the Father as he says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That's what makes Good Friday good. Hell came to Jerusalem that day and Jesus bore the brunt of it all. Let's pray together. And as we move toward God's table, I'm going to invite our men if they would come and station themselves here. But I, I want to pray a prayer even before we come to that place. So, men, when I begin praying, if you'll make your way down. But I want you to think with me for a moment of the suffering of Jesus, of the sacrificial love of Jesus. But right down the middle, I want you and I in this moment, you and me in this moment, to think about the wrath of God satisfied in the act of the cross so that a debt that you owe that you never could pay was paid by one who owed no debt and washed your sins completely and fully away. And the Bible says to us that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed and crucified, he shared a meal with his disciples and helped them in a foreshadowing, understand what was going to happen. And then Paul would come to the church later and he would say, with some teaching, this is what we're doing. Every time we come to this table, we proclaim his death until he comes again. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for the picture of the cross that is so compellingly vivid and clear at Calvary when we think about the darkness. Our Lord Jesus bearing your judgment and wrath and our punishment. God, I find myself speechless at this point and even thinking about the greatness of your sacrifice and the greatness of your grace toward us who are so utterly unworthy. Father, would you do your work in our hearts and we'll thank you. Father, we want to live the kinds of lives that demonstrate gratitude for all that you've done. Father, I thank you for this church and for these believers. As we gather ourselves at your table, we proclaim your death together. Father, thank you for the great privilege of this time of worship on this Good Friday, knowing that resurrection is on its way. Lord Jesus, we long for your return. And we pray toward it and we work until you come. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.